Hello, 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 and welcome to Radio Nerd. Uh, this is going to be episode number 11. Wow. Already in the double digits. I mean, yes, last uh, episode was 10. Um, I took off last week because, um, well, I was uh, having some trouble adjusting to the new in-person school schedule and uh, a little overwhelmed. So I decided to take the week off for myself, which is something that uh, I think is perfectly fine to do every now and again. Um, yeah, uh, back on topic, uh, we're going to be talking about an interesting topic, something that I've been doing a little bit more uh, research about. Um, it's somewhat related to the Gamergate uh, episode that I've sort of been talking about every now and again. Um, I will get to the Gamergate episode eventually. I just would really like to do it justice, and I have not had the time with school and other uh, responsibilities in order to get into it. Um, reading week is next week, though, so I'm hoping that I'll get some time to both uh, bulk record and also to do uh, some research and stuff on some future episodes. That would be neat to have, like, some episodes banked up both in notes for that episode and also in um, in actual recorded episodes. I think that would be nice. Um, yeah. Uh, as always, you can find uh, the show at uh, Radio Nerd uh, WLU at gmail.com if you would like to email or Radio underscore Nerd WLU on Instagram. Um, I am also over this, uh, um, over the reading week going to, uh, brush up a little bit on my, uh, Instagram skills, I guess. Is that what you would say? Instagram skills, Instagram knowledge, whatever. I'm going to look into some stuff. I'm going to, I'd like to present a little bit more of a professional Instagram thing instead of just finding pictures on google images and posting them <laughs> which is i don't know if you knew, noticed this but that's what i've been doing <laughs> uh, up until now uh which is fine in some ways but uh i just would like to i'd like to make it a little bit better of a place um today we're going to be talking about a topic which um i'd like to put a little bit of a trigger warning here for um radicalization if you or someone that you know that's close to you has been radicalized by whatever, uh, because radicalization comes in so many different forms, um, and it's something that uh, you know you're not super comfortable talking about yet, or you you know uh, seeing it again triggers those memories, feel free to skip this episode. That's totally fair. Um, it can be very hard. Um, losing family members and i'm going to use that terminology losing family members or friends or people who are close to you to radicalization because you are losing them in very many in in many ways um especially uh in the way that i'm going to talk about because we're going to be talking about the alt-right today um i think here in canada especially in light of uh the past few weeks the um air quotations trucker protest um and, you know, the uh, essential siege that we're under here uh, in Canada uh, from alt-right extremists, uh, which is what is happening. 
Um, so I thought it was pertinent to talk about it, very uh, timely. Uh, I also think that there's um, an importance in talking about this even if there isn't something like this going on. Uh, it's important to know the signs of radicalization so that you can save people and also so that you can prevent yourself from falling down any sort of holes. Um, we're talking about pipelines today. Now, I'm going to briefly talk about, or well, I'm not going to briefly talk about, I'm going to talk about what a pipeline is in a minute, but I'm sort of going to talk about, um, I'm going to start off with some signs and just some like bigger ideas surrounding it. Um, so what pipelines essentially are is ways in which people find themselves in areas of the internet that are particularly uh, populated by people who are members of the alt-right. And this can happen in a lot of different fandoms especially. It's an especially bad problem lately with nerd culture. And that's probably due to the popularization of nerd culture. You know, we have... Nerd culture is everywhere, right? We have... Uh, the Marvel movies, you know, comic books are on full display. Comic books, which were for a long time, for much of my life, for a while of my life, were kind of relegated to like very niche nerd hobbies. Um, anime is super popular now. Um, you know, it, tabletop RPGs, especially Dungeons and Dragons, have exploded. Um, Card games are on the rise. Uh, what else do we have in nerd culture? I mean, science fiction fantasy, right? I talked about um, Rabid Puppies, and that's an alt-right organization that was attempting to infiltrate that fandom. And the thing is, is that the alt-right specifically targets fandoms like this and finds people who are vulnerable in order to convert them. Mostly, these people are straight white men because in many respects nerd culture at a time was the domain of the straight white man that was the main person who was in it straight white men made a lot of these things um straight white men made a lot of comic books i will admit that a lot of them are also jewish and do have a lot of different um uh specific political leanings that tend to be left um, you know, especially people uh, like Stan Lee and that, um, and his contemporaries. Um, but the first people who were uh, fans of comic books were undoubtedly straight white men. Um, additionally, you know, you have straight white men who dominate fantasy and science fiction as a hobby. You have them uh, creating tabletop RPGs, especially Dungeons and Dragons, and then also dominating that hobby and that industry. You have the same in video games. I forgot to mention video games. Video games are legitimately one of the are are the largest legitimate. <laughs> They are the largest growing industry in the entire world right now, especially North America. And the fact that they're dominated by straight white men in the roles of leadership, development, and everything else, and you don't need me to tell you again the problems with these big companies like Riot, Ubisoft, um, and ABK, you know, Activision Blizzard, um, 
hopefully that might change with Microsoft. I've heard Microsoft is a, is a decent company to work for um, in terms of uh, how they treat their employees and their workplace culture is much more positive. Honestly, you can get anything is better than the bottom of the barrel that uh, even lower than the bottom, you know, punch a hole in the barrel and find your freaking Cosby suite there in uh, Activision Blizzard. But what I'm getting to here is that uh, the, with the explosion of popularity of all these things, they are finding more and more diverse audiences. And that means the fans are diverse, the people who want to make them are diverse, and the people who want to join the industry are diverse. And the alt-right does not enjoy that because the alt-right are terrorists who hate diversity and, you know, wish for things like a white ethno state, which is a fancy way of saying everybody who's not a straight white person in a concentration camp. And, or kicked out of the country, however you want to, you know, skew it. All of these are sort of like buzzwords that the alt-right uses. And we're going to talk more about how they contort language in order to seem benign as well, which is a pretty key component of this internet culture that they've created um, in places like 4chan. Uh, and basically, you know, what it comes down to is that there are so many of these pipelines, right? And these are basically like ways for the alt-right to entice you into joining them by slowly indoctrinating you through content, right? It's done a lot on social media, and I'm going to get into sort of the more specifics of it, but I wanted to address a certain topic or a certain, sorry, a certain phrase that is used a lot. Um, it's called taking the red pill, and it's from The Matrix. If you haven't seen The Matrix, there's a choice within the movie uh, where Neo is chosen. It, it either has to take the blue pill to go back to his life and forget everything that happened or the red pill and see how far this rabbit hole goes because that's um, it's a good line. It's a really good message. And the entire movie, if you don't know, is an allegory for being trans in many ways and that was the intention behind the directors the matrix has now been sort of contorted and this idea of red pill has now become um seeing the world for how it really is right and being used in the parlance of the alt-right it's seeing the world for how they see it not how it really is because let's be frank everybody sees the world differently right that's a philosophy thing you know Everybody sees the world a little differently than anybody else. Um, all people on the alt-right see it in a very particular way and think of that way as the correct way. Um, I would say that, that it's the wrong way to look at the world. If, you know, to be the least harsh as possible, which I'm not really sure why I'm doing, other than the fact that I'm not allowed to swear here. But um, it's very uh telling when people like you will find people who talk about red pill um there's this per uh, i've had experience with people who are talking about who've talked about red pilling um 
particularly uh, straight white friends, uh, straight white male friends. And uh, they were talking about it in context of pickup culture. Uh, pickup culture being uh, this very misogynistic sort of um, philosophy about going to bars and, you know, um, attempting to seduce, air quotation marks, because I don't know if you can call this seduction, um, women that are there. It's, I'm not going to get into hookup culture because, first of all, I, I think it's kind of disgusting. And second of all, I don't actually know all that much about it because I really don't want to. Um, but that is one example of how the alt-right funnels people into a pipeline hookup culture right it's um i think i'm safe in calling it misogynistic um i'm sure some people would disagree with me probably people who subscribe to those sorts of ideas but that sort of area you know specifically uh using um, sexism to lure men into white supremacy in the alt-right is a well-documented technique um you know we can talk about uh you know uh, incels as well incels are sort of like the end goal in many ways for pickup culture you get into the pickup culture and then maybe it doesn't start working and maybe uh Maybe it's got, um, maybe there's a lot of problems there where uh, you've decided that because none of these things that you're being told are wrong, are working, um, it's because it, the problem is women, right? And maybe that is because uh, all women are terrible and they should be subservient to men, right? This is the sort of logic that you go through in a pipeline. Right. This is kind of like an example of how it works. Uh, and then you keep going and you end up getting to points where it's like, oh, well, no, obviously not all women, but, you know, women who aren't white, obviously they're the bad ones. Right. So uh, this is how it goes. And people like uh, Trump prey on these things, but people who are completely um, anonymous and completely um unknown on the internet will do it just the same and basically uh you know in in many ways they're convincing it that it's not their fault that they're not uh you know getting laid something that society has ostensibly told them is important for their manhood right and that it's the fault of this group of people or this group of people and it's ways like this that you find radicalization. You find it in nerd culture when things start changing. When people start realizing that their fans are diverse, so they show diversity. Um, the big backlash against um, the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show and... Uh, the hate directed towards that TV show because it addressed issues of race, even though 
it adapted a comic book series and very much so a couple of comic book series actually and very much so was in line with the ideas that surrounded uh, uh, falcon becoming captain america those ideas are not new they're in comic books they may have changed some things, added some things, but is a very similar message to what was originally in those comic books. So even if you're using source material, when the alt-right gets their claws in there, it doesn't matter. Woke SJWs are ruining our comic books. Woke SJWs, blah, 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 you know? That is sort of the 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 rhetoric they use that is how they um indoctrinate people into their way of thinking and i think excuse me i think um after talking about this a little bit and sort of introducing you to these ideas you know seeing what is essentially these are end goals of these pipelines, right? We're going to talk about where these pipelines start and why the pipelines are so successful. Um, but first, we're going to use a method that I like to describe how the pipeline works. Yeah, it's called a funnel explanation. It comes from sales, and it specifically comes from a person named Caleb Kane who fell victim himself to radicalization. Um, he called the uh, far right on YouTube a decentralized cult. And it's a good explanation for it because the way that this kind of works, it's nothing is centralized. There is no connected organization that is devious. It is a ideological rhetoric that invades every sort of fandom and invades people's ideas about how the world works. And in that respect, it's very difficult to fight against it in ways that are organized because when we think of terrorism in a abstract sense, we generally think of an organized militia or some sort of organization that uh, formally tries to do things the way the alt-right generally work um, in some obvious cases lately especially they become much more forward and out there uh, and that's due to political apathy and a lack of political um, literacy in my opinion at least um, there's tons of reasons why the alt-right is so active now um, I could do an entire podcast on that, and I'm not going to go into that. But the way the alt-right works online is decentralized. It's not cells or anything like that. All these rhetorics that we have around terrorism, it's essentially like an ideology that spreads around the internet. And when someone becomes so radicalized that they uh, resort to violence, an attack whether that be Christchurch, whether that be what happened in Georgia last year, whether um, that be the attacks on the mosque in Ottawa or the, um, the attack on a Muslim family 
this past year in London. All these things come from that radicalization. And what ends up happening is we don't have a collective group to blame. And so they are seen as outlier in instances by people who are uninformed. They're like, oh my God, how could this happen? Why is someone doing this? <clears throat> when there are very clear threads here connecting what is happening. So Caleb Kane described it using the sales funnel. And the sales funnel is something from marketing because Mr. Kane had a uh, history in marketing through uh, school. And he talked about how there are four steps, awareness, interest, decision, and action. He described the last step action of truly falling into a fascist mindset, into an alt-right mindset. Awareness comes in very devious ways. And I'm sort of going to break this down by using an example, and it's called the PewDiePie line. I'm sure lots of people are familiar with PewDiePie and um, being a very popular YouTuber. So the awareness starts when people like PewDiePie make edgy jokes. Uh, PewDiePie, on multiple occasions, um, has made some, uh, let's say, edgy, I'm just going to call them racist jokes, uh, whether they be anti-Semitic, whether they be Nazi uh, idolizing when he uh, wore a military outfit, clearly in the style of a Nazi, or um, when he said the N-word straight up in the stream, just out of nowhere. And, uh, well, let's just say there are a lot of problems with those things. Um, not only did he do that, he also... Um, has recommended anti-Semitic YouTube channels as well. And that's where we get into the second one. Because you watch someone like PewDiePie, who is normalizing these ideas, normalizing these jokes, right? And you get into, you get recommended things on YouTube that funnel you down to the next one, which is interest. You're like, oh, these ideas are interesting. And then you start getting... Maybe some right-wing commentators. Maybe it's someone like uh, Ben Shapiro. That can be a good starting area. That gives you the interest. Uh, and then you start going down these holes when you watch something like that. And you get to people like Lauren Southern. Or people like her who send a very clear, or I should say a more clear message than Ben Shapiro. Because <clears throat> Ben, remember, is attempting to convince people that he's not right-wing, that he's like libertarian or whatever it is he goes by right now. Um, but he's touting conservative right-wing ideas. But then you get into Southern and her um, co-workers contemporaries i don't know if contemporaries is the right word for this it doesn't matter people like her um on youtube and they start sending a very a much more clear message of what the right thinks you should be doing whether that be anti-immigration anti-lgbtq racist straight up homophobic 
um, various other messages of hate. I don't need to list off all the messages of hate right now. But you have these ideas circulating and you come to decision. And this is when you start going to actual sites that are nationalist sites. These sites are things, you know, like 4chan, right? Where you have such a concentrated alt-right uh, community. And these are the sites where you're having um, people who um, are doing uh, alt-right memes and stuff like that. Taking regular memes or taking regular things that people don't even think about and making them into alt-right symbols. Because it's an ideology which understands that most people don't agree with them. Fascism's never been an ideology of everybody. It's an ideology of opportunism that grabs populist ideas, ideas that everybody shares, and runs with them to grab power. Why do you think the mandates, which so many people in Canada can sympathize at the very least with not having enjoyed their time in lockdowns, have become the rallying cry of an alt-right mob that seeks to take over multiple cities within our country? Because fascists use populist ideas in order to gain either support or apathy towards them. And then they walk around with flags and symbols of what their true ideology is, of what their true intentions are. Just like that, the alt-right on the internet cloaks all of their things in ideas that many people can get behind or that many people can sympathize with. Additionally, they send you messages that your civilization, the problems that are inherent that are affecting you in your daily life are being caused by socialists, maybe Muslims as the new target of the other, maybe um, another boogeyman, something like the QAnon conspiracies. It's the state that is the enemy. And that's why you can't pay your rent on time. Or that's why no one will go out with you. Or that's why food prices are going up. The true, uh, the reason why this is always tied so intrinsically to capitalism is that right now we're talking about a funnel that happens in YouTube, right? YouTube being a incredible maker of money <laughs> and also being a platform that specifically makes it so it's easy for people to fall into these pipelines. Because when you compare right-leaning and left-leaning content on YouTube, right-leaning content gets more views because... While both get people who believe in their message clicking on it and watching it, right-wing content also gets outrage clicks. And outrage clicks, something that is very prevalent on something like Facebook as well, means people are watching it because they're angry about it. They're like, how did someone say this? What is this? This is crap. 
they share it to their friends to show them that this is terrible. And they're giving that piece of media free advertising, essentially. And Facebook and YouTube prey on models like this where people will click things for outrage. It gets more clicks. It gets more ad revenue. It makes them more money. So their algorithms are designed for people to be like, I clicked on these things, so we're going to send you to these other things, which also got a lot of clicks. And eventually, you find yourself at a decision, and that decision ends up being the third step on the funnel, and you realizing that you're starting to sympathize with these ideas. Now, Mr. Kane said he never got to the bottom of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel again being fascism, and that being action. Within sales, that's buying a product. And in this case, you're buying into fascism. You're buying into these ideas that things are going wrong. And you're starting to become literate in the language of the internet alt-right. You're starting to use symbols that are innocuous and that if someone calls you out on that symbol, you're like, no, that's not what I was doing. Obviously not. Are you crazy? Why do you think everything is like this? Because the alt-right is all about attacking people, deflecting things, and the term disavow being used consistently in order to throw things off and continue to move, continue to rotate the wheels forward and forward until you get to where you want to be. And for some people where you want to be, is recording yourself about to walk into a mosque where you kill 50 people. And saying right beforehand, subscribe to PewDiePie. Because that's how these things start. It's very easy for a content creator to send out a message and be like, hey, I don't condone this in, condone this in my community. But that would mean possibly losing subscribers. That would mean possibly losing money. Because the systems are designed in such a way to encourage people to do things like this. PewDiePie won't ever do that because he likes the money and because our society and our systems of capitalism reward him to do it. Because capitalism and fascism have always been good bed friends. They've always, you know, had passionate and loving sex before having a smoke afterwards that capitalism, of course, paid for. Because fascism touts itself as a revolutionary movement that is going to change the evils in your life, but then doesn't do anything at all. In the first 16 years of Mussolini's reign as dictator in Italy, from 1920, uh, 1922 until 1938, he did not make any significant changes at all to Italy's structure. It was the exact same liberal, liberal democracy that preceded 
Mussolini's rise to power, except Mussolini was the prime minister for life. The change came when he became friends with Hitler and started adopting policies of Hitler's Nazism, right? Which is a transformation on fascism. It is a directed fascism towards specific groups. That's not to say that fascist Italy didn't already uh, persecute socialists and uh, foreign workers or foreigners in general in their country because they did that. That was part of their rise to power. But they didn't do it as organized as the Nazis began to do it until they became close allies with the Nazis and followed their suit. We don't have that disconnection anymore. There is People are fascists just for the sake of fascism, but they hold up symbols of white supremacy alongside of it. If a fascist organization came to power in a Western nation, they would try to immediately institute policies that were actively discriminatory towards minority groups. You can see that literally today in Hungary. That is what ha is happening there in that country. It is a case example of how a fascist government would do something in our day and age. And I urge you, because I'm not going to continue talking about it, to research and see some of the atrocities that are happening there. They're not the only country that is relying on nationalistic ideas in order to um, justify violence. You can also look into the Hinduvada movement in India or into the concentration camps in, in uh, uh, Western China. Specifically, um, the Uyghurs, the what is happening to the Uyghur people right now. But I think it's important to keep in mind that these things are happening on a smaller scale within our world and within our fandoms. And that brings me to the point that I'm trying to talk about here is that it's very important to be aware of these things, to continue to be educated about them and to watch out for them. Because while straight white men are the most susceptible to these things, they're not the only people that are susceptible to this. Every one of us is susceptible to being convinced that these are the right ideas. We're able to be convinced that this is for the betterment of everyone when it's not. You need to always be paying attention to these things because you could have cases like Gamergate where something festers deep in your community and explodes and causes errors, causes consistent pain towards people who are trying to make your uh, fandom better or are critiquing it. Like I said in other episodes, nothing is above critique. And when people start to talk about things being 
unable to be critiqued. That is when you need to realize that they have an agenda that they are attempting to enforce and that their agenda does not want to be questioned. And I think that's dangerous. Because when we don't allow questions, we don't allow growth. And growth is necessary to be become better. Awareness comes alongside organization too. And I think as a card-carrying left member, organization's the rallying cry, right? While the alt-right succeeds when they are dispersed and when people are apathetic, when people are organized and aware of the things that could happen, they are better able to deal with the situations that are happening as they develop. Now, I said it's hard for organizations to fight something like this. But what I meant by that is it's hard for state-based organizations to fight against these. Individual, um, citizen-led, or person people-led organizations are much better able to deal with these types of things. When people are setting a good example within a fandom, it's less likely that people will fall into these traps or at the very least spread these ideas. If a YouTuber says, these things are not welcome in my community and does the bare minimum of deleting um, deleting hateful comments or perhaps, you know, giving their mods on Twitch a list of things that they don't want to see popping up in their chat. They do the bare minimum and really the only thing necessary to make sure that those types of things don't fester in their community. It is their community and they are partially responsible for how it acts. While PewDiePie is not responsible for the deaths at Christchurch, he's responsible for creating a culture that accepts jokes that are harmful and that lead people down these holes. And while PewDiePie himself is not necessarily the problem, because someone else would take his place if he were to do those things. He also can be part of a solution. Because if he were to stop and say, this isn't all right, I apologize, what I did was wrong, which he has done, but let's be real, every YouTuber apology is terrible. If he does some action with that apology and does the bare minimum amount of policing his community. And by that, I don't mean police state policing. I mean not condoning and condemning things that are hateful within his community. Maybe his community would grow a little bit smaller, but the people who are on the fence, who were contemplating these ideas may be pulled away from the edge before it's too late. 
And if more and more people did that, maybe we wouldn't have a problem of pipelines as much anymore. Maybe YouTube would start to incentivize messages that were helpful. They would create algorithms that would allow us to see things that encourage us to be better to our fellow people. Maybe that's really helpful thinking. I don't know. What I do know is that there are definitely examples of fandoms being positive and being works uh, or sources of, of light when alt-right forces attempt to take over things. I'm going to... Sh- show you a little or talk to you a little bit about a case study before we end off the episode because this is heavy stuff and i think some positiveness and a light at the end of the tunnel is important i like to compare these types of things to pandora's box i don't know if you're familiar with the story um pandora opened up the box and least unleashed all of the evils on the world But she closed it just in time to keep hope inside so that we would have hope always, even through all of the evils of the world. And I like to think that I still have hope. I need to still have hope in many ways. Because why else would... I continue to talk about these things if I didn't have hope in some ways. But back to the original thought here. Um, Some hope, a silver lining in this uh, downer of an episode. Um, We're going to talk about a case study. We're going to talk about something called D&D Gate. Now, this refers to Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop RPG, Obviously, a part of the nerd of nerd culture has influenced so many things and continues to be a driving force in nerd culture. Now, originally, D&D was very much so the domain of straight white men. Uh, you know, your stereotypical nerds in basements. But since probably the 90s, if not like very close to now, it's become more and more diverse especially within the past five years with the advent of things like um, live plays being streamed on Twitch or YouTube. Those are games being played live, uh, particularly the one called Critical Role, headed by Matthew Mercer, along with a group of voice actors who present it as a, essentially a, um, a show that they uh, perform on you know, once a week. Um, and D&D Gate um, started with a tweet from one of Dungeons & Dragons developers. Uh, his name is Jeremy Crawford. And Jeremy Crawford wrote this tweet. And I'm just going to read it out for you. Uh, if a kingdom in D&D was forcibly separating children from their parents and putting the kids into detention centers. The heroes would do everything in their power to reunite those families. Let's at least be good, as good as the heroes in D&D. Then he used the hashtags D&D and compassion. 
Now, this was tweeted in 2018. If you want a little bit of a history lesson, because that is a few years ago now. God, four years ago. Oof. Um, <laughs> uh, that's how the pandemic takes away our time. Uh, in 2018, Trump was in the process of separating children from their families when uh, a large amount of migrant families were fleeing uh, organized crime violence in places like uh, El Salvador and Honduras. And they were going up through Mexico and they were attempting to seek asylum in the United States. And instead of going through the proper legalist procedures through which um, you uh, figure out if people are truly refugees or not and you know, the ways that other countries have begun to do that ever since basically the end of World War II, if not a little bit after that. Um, Trump decided that he was going to put these people in concentration camps, essentially, and separate the children from their parents, deport those parents, and there is now... This is a situation that still hasn't been rectified. Not under Biden. It, ha it hasn't come to any sort of conclusion um, no, what we're seeing is just, you know, basically a humanitarian and human rights crisis. Uh, and he did this after spending months while they knew that this, uh, group of people was coming, uh, towards the border, um, demonizing these people and, you know, spreading racist misinformation across the media. So of course, uh, Jeremy Crawford coming out in support of children, and coming out in support of, uh, you know, basic human treatment of people. Uh, the right-wing group of D&D &D players who support these types of things and who uh, generally are terrible people, including specifically the RPG Pundit, who is unfortunately a, can a former Canadian expatriate who lives in Uruguay now, um, who is a terrible human being. Uh, he's very active in the alt-right sections of the community. Him, along with some of his cronies and uh, contemporaries, or um, I keep using contemporaries, and that's not the word, um, his uh, compatriots, there we go, uh, in the alt-right sphere of TTRBGs, started attempting to do D&D uh, gate, essentially a poor man's gamer gate. Something very similar to Gamergate, which, again, I haven't talked about Gamergate yet on the podcast. If you'd like to do your own research, there's a fantastic series of uh, videos by um, Innuendo Studios about Gamergate. That's where I'm going to be getting most of my information. I've, I've uh, watched a number of them. I just need to go back through and take notes and stuff like that, and I don't have the time to do that right now. Um, essentially... D&D &D gate uh, was a response where they were talking. It's essentially, you know, white male fragility, assuming that, you know, because people were standing up for other people, that meant that their place was getting erased or whatever it is that the reasons, right? And they were basically claiming that SJWs and leftists ruined D&D &D and demanded uh, that Jeremy Crawford and other members of staff who had tweeted or in support or retweeted his tweet be fired. Here's where we get to the nice part about it. 
because the community reacted the way that every community should when something like this is attempted. The community rallied around both Jeremy Crawford and um, in response to it, uh, um, Matthew Mercer, as I previously mentioned, who is a very positive influence on the community and very much so upholds a lot of these same ideas of, you know, inclusivity, diversity, um, and creating a community that, you know, cares more about people enjoying the game that they are playing rather than telling people how they should play the game and why, you know, that they should accept the fact that plenty of these people make rape, rape jokes or, um, you know, make racially charged um, storylines in their games. I don't recommend it, but if you're interested, there are r slash rpg horror stories is a little bit of a trip i don't recommend going there because some of them probably should be trigger warning i'm sure some of them are some of them aren't but there's some real bad stuff in there and it's never a nice trip but anyways so what they did was they took over the hashtag um i'm going to tell you what my favorite thing they did with it last because i want to build up to this but uh there was general people you know talking about um you know how if you support it you know you're not a friend of mine and you shouldn't be a member of this community uh, because you're supporting intolerance uh there was the talking about people who are well or who are part of foundational people too um Dungeons and Dragons specifically, who are members of marginalized communities, uh, such as Janelle Jaque, who is a transgender lesbian, who was uh, a dungeon designer in the early 1970s eras of D&D. And then we get to the real good part. And the real good part is that it's called hashtag D&D gate. So what a bunch of people got together and did was started using the hashtag on pictures of gates or descriptions of gates. Sometimes these descriptions were thinly veiled references to um, what was going on and to inclusivity and things like that. Um, and sometimes it was just a depiction of a gate or a picture of a gate. Sometimes art, sometimes not. It's it's things like these that really make me like enjoy parts of the internet. Is that you can do things like that just to, you know, using... Because trolls tend to have a bit of a, a right-wing leaning and that's generally who you see doing death threats and all these terrible things to people who are speaking out on the internet and seeing these people being trolled by the people who truly love this game and instead don't just want power and control for themselves is beautiful a beautiful piece of irony maybe not irony maybe karmic justice it doesn't matter one of the two who knows I'm from North America. I don't know what irony is. Um, 
There was also an attempt to, um, because you can apparently, and I didn't know this, but you can trademark hashtags. So there's an attempt to trademark the hashtag too. And um, the idea was that if it was used by people who were trying to get D&D Gate up and going from the from the uh, right wing uh, agenda, sometimes I worry if I'm like saying right and left interchangeably, it's... It's a bad thing. I'm bad with my directions. Anyways, the right wing, if they attempt to use it, like getting a trademark would allow people to allow the person who owned the trademark to send bills for trademark infringement to those people, which is hilarious. But, you know, it was basically an attempt for people to gatekeep a hobby that failed spectacularly. Just like how rabid puppies and sad puppies failed pretty miserably as well. There are people, when a community organizes and when a community doesn't fall victim to the propaganda of the alt-right, a community can very easily push these people to the fringes and leave them there where they belong. And every time they start to bark again, just like a disobedient dog, you know, you just have to, you know, silence them. Like Caesar Milan, just... I don't know if that came through, but... I'm sure everybody remembers that. Maybe that's an old thing. But... You can, to a certain extent, control where these people are, know where these people are, and take away the power that they have. Because... In a community that's super diverse, accepting people who hate that diversity and actively make a place unsafe for others do not deserve to be in that community anymore. Community is based on people working together to create a safe space. And I think within nerd culture... You know, it's always been a safe place for people who have been ostracized in whichever way that they have been. And just because some of those people who think that their ostracization in high school allows them to be um, bigoted, intolerant, terrible human beings does not justify their actions or their behaviors. And it's the responsibility of the greater community that surrounds our interests to stand together and be like, no, we will not accept you here. And that's what we saw with D&D Gate. And I think that that can show that a uh, community can actively do this can prevent people from trying to change things based on their own selfish and intolerant ideas. I think that's a good place to stop. Um, thank you for watching. Watching. Thank you for listening. Um, this has been Radio Nerd. Uh, again, you can find us at Radio Nerd WLU. 
W-L-U, God, that's a bit of a tongue twister, at gmail.com, and radio underscore nerd, W-L-U, on Instagram. Feel free to reach out if you have any comments or questions, um, ideas for shows, whatever you have. I just, it's conversation. I keep saying this. This is a conversation because talking about these things and learning about these things is the way that we get to that point where we can organize as communities and push people who only think about their own selfish desires out. And hopefully that pushing out will force those people to reassess and change their ways. Or maybe not. At the end of the day, like I said, it's about creating safe spaces. And to that, have a good one. <laughs>